When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're kind of unusual, Jim. You spend a lot of time hanging out with people not like you, friends and family who think differently about politics and maybe culture as well. Well, I wish I could say it's because I make this heroic effort to, you know, get into cultural situations that are very people with very different kinds of backgrounds for me, but really it's just because of my bizarro politics being a little bit more conservative or, you know, as I'd like to say, a, a squishy libertarian swimming in a sea of of liberal friends, but I do think that for a lot of us it's hard to find situations where we aren't surrounded by uh, by people that agree with us or people from very similar cultural backgrounds. So let's talk about one solution, uh, practical and local. It's called the Village Square. Our guest is Liz Joyner. We disagree in sound bites that then professional polarizers are, you know, working to divide us over. But in paragraphs, we agree way more than we think we do. Professional polarizers. How do you cope with those people? Um, well, I think they're playing us all. And I, I think we ought to be done with them. Or at least know what the game is, right? Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Unlike almost every other country, America was founded on an ideal of citizenship. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yet many Americans are deeply unhappy with the state of our nation today. We're divided and the number of people who say America's headed in the wrong direction has remained very high for at least the past seven or eight years. Our guest, Liz Joyner, is bringing people together at the Village Square, an organization she founded 17 years ago, way before most other groups and people like us started pushing back against polarization and division. Liz joins us from Tallahassee, Florida, where the Village Square is headquartered. Welcome, Liz. It's fun to be with you today. So set the stage for your group, the, the Village Square. You call yourself a, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that dialogue and disagreement make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. Explain. So our mission is to build civic trust between people who don't look or think alike and 
to Jim's uh, point that it shouldn't be a heroic effort that we have to make to be able to find people who don't think like us. It sh they should be part of our lives. Um, so the Village Square gathers people who are different together. And we talk about all the complex challenges ahead. And we don't necessarily do it with the concept that we ought to be agreeing with each other, but that we should disagree with each other, respect each other, and keep talking. Because that's really what the charge of American citizenship is. And how often do you meet? Um, so we have about 20 events a year. Um, we have two locations, Tallahassee and Fort Lauderdale. We really believe that communities need to be gathering together across these differences, not once, not twice, not to talk about one thing they disagree with, but as part of the life of their community. One thing I noticed in some of your events is that it seems like food plays a role in your get togethers. Why is food so important in bringing people together? Yeah, that's very intentional uh, because when there's food involved, you're kind of you're kind of operating in a different sort of frame, right? It's a social event. We, we do work really hard to make our events social and magnetic and something that you want to do with your evening. Because if, if it's a very workish affair, then you get five or 10 people. Our events have anywhere between 50 and 1,000. So it's both to get people there. It's to get them into a space where they're interacting with people um, with sort of heart first instead of head first. And we think that it's critical. We have food at everything. People say this all the time, but I just wondered if you agree. Are we more divided now than we were, say, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? I think that um, social media essentially has thrown gasoline on the fire of human nature in a way. So I, I see it as being a predictable outcome of what happens when you are gathered in the wrong ways and instead of the right ways. One superhuman power that humans have is that when we know each other, when we can find something about you that we relate to, we are incredibly reciprocal and we return kindnesses. And those are things that don't really happen online digitally. So I assume that gathering in a good way is meeting neighbors and 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 people who maybe you pass by and not at on the street and the bad way is social media it's not always true right it's not always true that being in person with with uh, people is a good interaction and online interactions are bad ones we're in a moment where we have to understand that the challenges of digital communication are vast and that we're never going to solve the problem with inside the same structure that's sort of gotten us here. And so the Village Square is about doing something very different. One of your events is called the God Squad. What is that? And, and why is the God Squad one of the programs that you do? When we first started out, one of the things that we learned is that we were drawing a more liberal leaning audience. And so like our second season, we um, the, the theme was faith, politics and neighbors ground well trodden by angels and fools is what we called it because we were trying to say, hey, you know, we want we want everyone to come in here. We want this to be a rich public square. Uh, 
And it was after that season that that I sort of coincidentally ran into my pastor and a local rabbi having breakfast. And we just started talking. And so that's when God Squad was born. It's a politically diverse group of pastors who have an ongoing conversation. There's about um, eight to 10 regulars and they come in and out of the conversation depending on what the topic is that month. Um, we've now done this for 13 years. These people have very deep relationships across their differences. And it means they're able to have um, provocative, very direct and honest conversations given the fact that they have these relationships. And God Squad is, is one of our most popular, well-loved programs. And in some ways, one of the things I like the best about it is that it's like you're not putting it through the rubric of we've got to solve some problem, we've got to agree on some policy, because when you're having a faith conversation, you know you, you're not going to do that. And as a result, I think that that puts you in a place where the conversations are most constructive because they're about opening people's hearts to each other. I was looking at the agenda for uh, one of the God Squad meetings, uh, I guess, took place last fall before the November elections. And the topic was one that that could be really controversial is whether spiritual leaders ought to talk about politics from the pulpit. Should they recommend that their parishioners vote a certain way? How did that conversation go? It went well. And again, it's because of the relationships exist between them. And they're politically diverse, so they see that from very different perspectives. Very often, I think that what we think is we're kind of hypocrites. Like, we think that our side ought to be able to, you know, do politically oriented church. But then the other side, it, it seems scary to us. So it was, it was a great conversation. There was actually a lot of laughter, which we think is important. And, you know, if you could get people singing a song ahead of time, even those are ways that a group, a large group of people can bond with each other. We have a short extract next from one of your events, Liz. The event was called Created Equal and Breathing Free. So one of the questions raised in this event was, have we gone too far with ensuring inequality? <laughs> I'm going to do this whole thing again. I'm sorry. Sounds Rehearsed, which it kind of was. But if only we had a professional broadcaster <laughs> here on the <laughs> yeah, yeah, Okay, you should yeah, leave all that yeah. in. That was fun. I, I, I forgot. I forgot how to do it. So we have a short audio extract from one of your events, Liz. It was called Created Equal and Breathing Free. One of the questions raised at that event was Have we gone too far in ensuring equality? Or, or, or not far enough. Can you tell us more about what we're going to hear? We didn't bring in experts on, on this intellectual idea. We brought in two regular humans who we thought were riveting, who didn't know each other ahead of this program, but got to know each other through it. Uh, Terry is a liberal theater owner for an alternative theater in town. And um, uh, Father Tim is a Catholic priest. Here's what I'm interested in knowing. Of all the tribes that you're a part of, which one or two would you say is most important to you? No, I'd like to hear from you first on this uh, one. Uh, well, tribes, okay, the creative tribe, 
you know, I, I identify with people who approach life with a great creativity. The tribe that has a sense of humor. You know, anybody who's got a sense of humor, that's my buddy. And um, the drinking tribe, because I like a good drink. <laughs> Why not? You know, so those, are, those are some of the tribes. You know, those are some of the tribes. Very good. Well, I have to agree with Terry. Uh, being a, one great thing about being Catholic is that uh, we drink, so I'm in the drinking tribe too. So. In fact, I was a little concerned. Right? I hadn't eaten since breakfast, and so I was having a glass of wine. And I thought this this isn't going to be good. I better eat something. Or we're going to have a problem. We're going to have a drinking game tonight. Every time that they uh, pat hands, drink up. Yeah. Go ahead. So I'm with, I'm with Terry on that one. I, I've never really thought about that. I mean, it, the obvious answer would be, oh, we're all, we're all the same. We're all humans. But, we're, you know, there's differences, obviously, in, in what we associate with. But that's something I am, I am proud of. I mean, the only sticker I have on my truck is the United States Marine Corps. And I served in the military when I was in college. And, and what reason I'm proud of that, I mean, it's part of my personality. I have, I'll share this. I have two tattoos. I have one of the Marine Corps and one of, of Jesus and Mary, a cross and an M. All right, help us know. You... You're not really a mean person. Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. I'm really mean. I hate bullies. And anytime I've ever seen a bully, I'll stand up and I'll call him to be a bully. And I won't take it. If somebody's picking on me or picking on people that I know are good people, I will not take it. And I can be really mean. And you need to be mean. And you need to put those people in their places and say no. I'm mean in that regard. And then I was mean when I was little because it was a defense mechanism. Because everybody was, if you're, if you're a, a deaf kid, you know, you're going to get picked on. And if you're around other disabled kids, you're going to see them get picked on. And what's your defense? You're a kid. And the adults aren't watching this. They think you're playing happily. So you get mean. So that, that's how I was mean as a kid. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. a defense thing, you know. Tough. Yeah. Tough skin. Boy, you've conjured something. <laughs> Father, help us. Give it. Give us help, a Help you. <laughs> Good luck, Bill. <laughs> that was great. Terry, a liberal theater owner, with Father Tim, a Catholic priest. We didn't hear a lot of politics there. It wasn't really about simply red versus blue. I think that's right. We see this as being kind of a humanizing endeavor, that we have to be able to see each other as more than two-dimensional red-blue cutouts. And so we're always looking for cross-cutting relationships. So, you know, you and I might disagree on politics, but we're both big fans of a sport team. In this particular case with um, Terry and Tim, we knew they were both big, warm, open-hearted people that had a great sense of humor. And listeners can go to Village Squarecast and listen to the whole conversation and to see how those kinds of conversations is actually how we got to the difficult parts of the political division. You know, Terry talked about how she had felt really beaten up by the Catholic Church in particular. And by seeding those relationships, by having that meal ahead of time, by creating those relationships, that relationship of respect between them, they were able to go there. 
we had then an audience full of 200 people who walked out of the room and thought, you know, I don't know that I necessarily agreed with the things that either Terry or Tim said, but boy, did I like them as a human. And when you, when you decrease that specifically effective polarization, you're changing everything. Our problem isn't that we disagree. It's that we hate each other. And we think that our opponent's um, intentions are evil. And that's what has to change. I want to get into this a little bit. It's not enough just to have a civil or even a really friendly conversation. At some point, if you are talking about an important issue like should we you know, support building a power plant or something, it's important to have an accurate conversation, a conversation that helps people reach a decision that's founded on, on – something real. On your website, you've got a lovely quote that I'll probably mangle from Albert Einstein, where he says something like, we must bring our facts to the town square. And and you, you say in your mission statement that your group is dedicated to maintaining factual accuracy in civic and political debate. I'm always the guy who's like, well, actually, you know, when political conversations come up and I think people are, they're repeating things that I believe did not be true. And how do you manage that? How do you pull people back to a factual foundation? We actually named the organization The Village Square after that Einstein quote, and it was to the Village Square, we must carry the facts of atomic energy from there must come America's voice. And so we were very focused on, in fact, at the very beginning, our concept was that we were going to have these, I think we were thinking policy debates, um, and that we were going to have little fact checkers on our computers looking things up. One of the things that we've really um, come to believe is that it's, it's really less about that than about the relationships between people who disagree. I would define the, the problem as going way deeper and more fundamental than that. It's that we can't find each other to even tolerate the difference anymore. So we sort of got out of the business pretty early of needing to agree on policy. You start with a basic fundamental respect and understanding that there's goodwill from, from all sides. We're talking with Liz Joyner of the Village Square in Tallahassee, Florida. I'm Jim Meggs. And I'm Richard Davies. And this is How Do We Fix It? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Very often we're led to believe that the country is hopelessly divided. We often think the other side from our own is a threat to the country or even crazy. We really do. And that's incredibly dangerous. Things that we think that are true that are simply not true. Uh, you know, the recent report um, from More in Common on the history wars is a good example. There's massive agreement on how we should teach history. And, and we think that we disagree foundationally. And I, th I think that our experience is that that exists um, all over all the time. We're, we're constantly kind of going, oh, wait, do you really think that? Um, we disagree in sound bites that then professional polarizers are you know, working to divide us over. But in paragraphs, we agree way more than we think we do. Professional polarizers are the a former uh, guest, I think, that you've worked with and we've had on our podcast, Amanda Ripley, calls them conflict entrepreneurs. How do you cope with those people? Um, well, I think they're playing us all. And I, I think we ought to be done with them or at least know what the game is, right? They get elected to office. They build careers on essentially fomenting anger. And where there isn't enough anger, they create it. So how do we turn things around? We're never going to get there. That will never be achieved unless we turn back around to each other and know each other a little more. And we think that has to happen community by community. But the truth is, it can change with one relationship that you develop and nurture with someone who's very dissimilar to you. One example is um, my the person I call my work husband. I, I lean politically left. He is politically conservative. And on January 6th, um, when the Capitol was uh, invaded, um, he called me and he wanted to check on me and see how I was doing. So I had that conversation on that day it becomes really impossible to put everybody who's um, politically conservative in the same bucket when you have that relationship. I'm kind of with you as Jim is my work husband. <laughs> <laughs> Liz, I want to talk a little bit about stereotypes. You mentioned that some of this discomfort is that people attribute to others beliefs that are more extreme than the ones that they actually have. So in an interview, I saw you showing that one of your hobbies is sewing these patriotic quilts with quotes from the Declaration and, and things like that. So I, I kind of assume that you're on the conservative side. And it's a credit to your organization. There's nothing in your materials that would make me know anything about your political orientation. Because I have a bias, as someone who's a little more conservative, that people on the left are sort of embarrassed by blatant or outspoken displays of patriotism. You know, they're kind of embarrassed about our country. They think our country's done more bad than good in the world. And so when I heard that, it kind of rattled me a little bit. It, it, I had to change my perspective of, of, of where you're coming Yay. from slightly. <laughs> this is a, a conservative stereotype about the left. It's obviously unfair. What stereotypes do you think people on the right um, – uh, excuse me, what stereotypes do you think people on the left tend to have about the right? Um, so I'm going to have a hard time making this a short answer because it's sort of my soapbox. I think that people who are more politically similar to me 
uh, um, have a hard time understanding conservatives. I think it's kind of a blind spot. So I've watched almost two decades worth of liberals being a little bit flummoxed by where conservatives are coming from. I mean, you take an issue like immigration, and I think that liberals have a hard time seeing anything other than mean at the basis of that, whereas there is so much more in the difference. And so I guess one of the things I would say to conservatives listening is I hope you'll consider the idea that we need you to share more and talk more and maybe put it in our, our, our language a little bit. I'm um, an example of how you can come to understand better if you just keep having that conversation. It's, it's blindness. It's not intentional, willful anger. And, and part of this comes from having a different set of ideas that are your moral foundation, right? I mean, you know, liberals might be more concerned about equality and fairness. Conservatives might be more concerned about a personal responsibility and some respect for authority and some of those kinds of values. How do those disconnect? Yeah, um, and, and we see that over and over and over again, that when you're looking at an issue from a care and fairness moral foundation, which um, which is the basis of uh, for more liberals, it's very easy to misunderstand the broader ideas. Conservatives don't care less about care and fairness. They're just distributing their ideas across a wider range of concerns. And when you start to see that, you see it over and over and over again, and it can form the basis of a path, I think, to understand each other. Your logo and mascot at the Village Square is a flying pig. <laughs> Why? We have always approached what we do with a certain amount of sense of humor and almost irreverence, um, partly because we recognize that the 24-hour day mudslinging that the conflict entrepreneurs use um, to divide us is magnetic and interesting. And if we're going to compete with them, we're going to have to make it good. People are going to have to want to come out on an evening and spend time with us. And so, you know, we thought, why, why make it dull? Uh, I have to admit, in, in an environment that has escalated over the 17 years we've been doing this, like this one has, it becomes a little bit more difficult sometimes. If you can get people laughing, if you can move into that space, it's incredibly therapeutic and it changes people's opinions towards the people that they formerly disliked. Your brother was a Navy SEAL. Your dad was a Navy pilot. How does growing up in a military family influence your thinking about America? So most of my years, um, I lived uh, in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. And because my dad worked at the Pentagon. And I think in, in those years, in that environment, I really did come to believe that this endeavor, this this thing that we're working on together with the highest ideals that exist, you know, you, you quoted in your introduction that we hold these truths to be self-evident. 
when our framers um, wrote that, they weren't self-evident at all. Those, those were almost insane ideas. Um, and, and the risk was so high to embody them in a document like that. So I, I believe that this thing that we're doing together is a very high calling. And, and there's no idea on the planet that's better in all of history. And it's a hard one to, to execute, right? And, and we're getting to the point where we're now really, um, you know, the first civilization to be really working hard on how do we have an incredibly diverse population and really live into our ideals. I hold them in high regard and, and think that the work of citizenship is to live into them. You've been organizing events at the Village Square for the past 17 years. Um, any thoughts given to the Village Squared of replicating this elsewhere? Um, yes, that, that is our hope. It takes leaders in the community to decide that they've had enough of the other way, that they're sick of the professional polarizers, conflict entrepreneurs having um, their way with their community. And I think that when we, one community at a time, get to that point, we will have turned the corner on this. Uh, it, it has to happen in communities between people who can borrow cups of sugar and, uh, and just know each other in some way other than online. Liz Joyner, joining us from Tallahassee, Florida. Thanks very much for being on How Do We Fix It? It's been a pleasure. And keep up the good work. And let's continue to work to make more groups like yours. They've been spreading, but we need a lot more of this around the country. Uh, you, you all and me both. Uh, that was you, bad. So cut that out. <laughs> No, 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 you can say Oh, no, we're keeping that. No, we're keeping that in. We keep in all the worst bits. Before our exciting conversation, Jim, a recommendation. It's your turn. So what do you have for us? I've got a book that I am actually writing a review of today for the Wall Street Journal. It's called The Matter of Everything, 12 Experiments That Changed Our World, by physicist Susie uh, Sheehy. It's sort of everything you wanted to know about subatomic physics, but we're afraid to ask. <laughs> and oh. it's a lovely history <laughs> of how physics as we knew it around the turn of the century got completely blown up by a series of discoveries, basically, that the atom is not the smallest unit of nature, but in fact could be broken up into smaller components. But it took time and a series of really interesting experiments to figure out how to really nail down what was going on inside the atom. And that revolutionized physics, helped lead to quantum mechanics and everything else that is part of our understanding of the universe today. And she does a great job of first talking about the fascinating people behind these key experiments throughout the 20th century and also showing the impact they've had. You know, you might think that something like quantum mechanics is so theoretical and removed from our day-to-day -day lives, but then she shows how the 
all this work on subatomic physics led to things like the MRI machine at the doctor's office and all kinds of of treatments and some of the components that are in your cell phone. So even this very, very arcane research winds up intersecting with our modern lives in a lot of different ways. So I really recommend it. It's a good book for interested non-scientists. I can't say it's not technical because she gets into the weeds uh, on theory pretty much, but she does it in a way that's very uh, readable and easy to follow. When you first mentioned the name of this book, I thought, oh, that's one I'm definitely not going to read. But you've made a pretty good case for it. I, I'm reconsidering. Liz Joyner says it's up to all of us to push back against the polarization industry, the people who are trying to divide us, and the nationalization of news and opinion. We need to recover our local Civic Square, and her organization, Public Square, includes the ingredients of food and humor to help break the ice. We'll have a link on our website to some of those Village Square programs, including the one we featured today on this episode. And this, I think it is really important to to bring things back to a local level and to make sure that people's ideas aren't just used for as symbols of everything that we hate or everything we think is wrong, but rather that we, we, we make a real honest attempt to understand where people are coming from. What I really like about this organization is all of their experience. And she talks about what they learned early on about not just having these very highbrow meetings to hammer out some policy dispute, but to, to make it fun, to make it lively. And it reminded me of something I heard last night on one of my favorite podcasts. I guess this is my second recommendation. The, the, the Brown University economist, Glenn Lowry, who is also a, a fellow at Manhattan Institute where I work, and he, on his podcast, The Glenn Show, he had on a guy named Greg Thomas, who is CEO of something called the Jazz Leadership Project, which tries to use principles from jazz as lessons in life and, and leadership. And one of the principles that he talks about is what he calls antagonistic cooperation. If you can imagine a jazz ensemble, somebody in there might, the bass player might throw in an interesting change or an elaboration on the beat. That's antagonistic in the sense that, wow, this is not unexpected and everybody else now needs to cope with it. But if the rest of the band can then like take that and, and run with it and work with it and respond to it, that's antagonistic cooperation. And I love the concept. And I think in a good debate, and I, you and I have this sometimes, Richard, it can be antagonistic in, in that we're pressing each other with things that, that we don't agree on, but it's cooperative in the sense that we're, we're trying to reach to, towards some kind of better understanding, not necessarily always agreement, but a better understanding of a wider understanding of an issue. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer, and this show is a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. We also do media training as well. Um, if you want to find out more, go to daviescontent.com. Thanks for listening. 
This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.